Welcome to the On the Corner podcast. I am your host, Dave Swan, and with me as always is the founder of PitcherList, Nick Pollock. Nick, how are you doing tonight? What is happening? Yes, I'm so excited to have David Swan here, uh, one of our uh, lead fantasy analysts here at PitcherList. Uh, he put out actually the uh, the article summing up this mock draft and judging all of our picks. And today we get to judge Dave's. However, I talked to him before this podcast. And I said, how do you feel about this one? He goes, I crushed it. I crushed it. And it's true. It's true that you did. Um, we're going to go through all of it. Um, but before we do, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and what you do exactly. All right. So on Twitter, it's at Davithius, D-A-V-I-T-H-I-U-S. Uh, and I do a little bit of everything here at Pitcher List from uh, reliever rings, batter's box, the expected uh, starting pitcher stuff, streaming catchers, uh, just kind of all over the place doing fantasy. Nice. Uh, so definitely give uh, David a follow there on Twitter. And let's talk about this draft here. Of course, if you don't know, this is part of our mock draft series. We're going through a 12-teamer. Uh, Yahoo standard format, five by five, head-to-head categories. Shohei Otani is two different pitch players. Uh, you have three outfield spots, a corner, in, no corner infield, no corner, uh, no middle infield. I'll get this down eventually. And two utilities with nine pitching spots. And we've been going through the entire uh, staff as we go through all of our picks. Dave is up now. He was third overall. And Dave, did you want to have the third overall pick? When I logged in, I think only you were on. So I chose the third and specifically because it was always my jersey number. That was it. <laughs> Literally nothing else to it. I just went, we're in here. Oh, that's free. great. Now, I think everybody will say that I signed the number with somebody else. It's John Starks for me, if you can believe it. Not Babe Ruth, I right. know. But John Starks is just three for me forever uh, here in New York with the Knicks. Um, so why three then? I mean, I, I know the jersey. Sorry, I should say. What were you hoping for at three? Oh, man, there was just a really good hitter. I went at third. I'm not going to even worry about pitcher. I bet with all the pitcherless people, we're going to wait on pitching. And let's just take whatever the best hitter that gets a lot of at-bats comes. And that happened to be Trey Turner with Jose Ramirez and Ronald Acuna Jr. going ahead. And Trey Turner just signed with the Phils. You didn't know that at nope. the time. Uh, this draft was done mid-October or so. Um, so so what do you see from Trey Turner that had you over Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, who went after? Yeah, so I was looking at just a guy who's going to do a little bit of everything very well. And a guy that they're just going to stick out there and play every single day. Hopefully he just gets as many at bats, racks it all up. And, you know, I, was, I assumed he was going to sign a big long-term deal with somebody. It would just be a really good team. Right. Yeah. The, the Phillies, I think, is a solid choice for fantasy managers, uh, given that's such a placid offense. Now, you actually have... Uh, one of his teammates uh, on your team that we'll talk about later. But yeah, Trey Turner last year, 101 runs, 100 RBI, 21 home runs, 27 stolen bases, near 300 average for the Dodgers. 
you hope that translates over um, across the board. The the power at 21 home runs in 160 games, not as high as we want this early in the draft. Still, he's going to likely be at that 20 or higher mark. Um, it's a nice place to hit in Citizens Bank Park. Um, and yeah, Trey Turner's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's also at shortstop, but you don't really need to worry about that one uh, moving forward, even though there are there is some depth to it. It's nice not to have to look down at your team in the ninth round and say, oh, no, I need a Absolutely. shortstop now. Um, so second round comes and no one had taken a pitcher yet. Uh, the top 21 picks were all hitters. Bryce Harper would not be part of that anymore given the surgery. So really, the top 20 hitters are off the board. And you actually did take a pitcher in Garrett Cole. Were you hoping for somebody else or did you just say, look, I, I can't not take Garrett Cole in this position? Right. At this point in the draft, I realized no one had taken pitchers, obviously. And the big point to this was I knew the draft was going to go a couple different ways after this pick. And I knew I was going to take a pitcher and I just wanted to get as many strikeouts as I could. And Garrett Cole is just the master of strikeouts, uh, especially for something in a head to head where you're getting like the, the weekly stats that we're getting against somebody. And I just want a guy that I can just toss out there. No worries. I'm like Garrett Cole in the second round is just to me a steal at this price. Um, that was the main concern. That was it. Just get me the best pitcher. And in this case, you're right. There's like so many upper echelon ones. And I think you've got like, you know, your ranks hadn't come out when we did this. But to me, I'm just like, just get me Cole, make it easy. And uh, the next pick is is where it really gets changing. Yeah, uh, 257 strikeouts last year for Garrett Cole, 243 the year before. 94 was one of the highest in 2020, if not the highest, 326 the year before that, 276 in 2018 for Garrett Cole. The only question, of course, is the ratios. 3-5 ERA in 2022, 3-2-3 in 321. We do wonder if that is still going to be three or higher when there are other pitchers that conceivably could do a lot better in the ERA department. But for you, I imagine it's all about the floor and getting just a boatload of strikeouts without damaging ratios as it was a 102 yeah, 100%, uh, with 100%. for Cole. Uh, so after getting Cole, you would think, all right, let me dip back into hitting now because as you mentioned, it's a pitcherless one and a lot of the pitchers go, so I'm going to go hit hitters. No, Cole goes, then it's Burns, Altuve, Lindor, and McClanahan. Comes back to you in the third round and you go Jacob DeGrom, one of the most polarizing players in fantasy this year because what is that injury risk going to look like should we be going for that upside of being the best pitcher on the planet or should we be, do, be doing something a little bit safer to guarantee a full season or at least a higher chance of it you went with Degrom as a four starter overall why did you go with Degrom? all right real simple in a, a 12 teamer i like to get more towards dangerous and i'm fine taking something that's just like boomer bust huge and you know depending how much the more he pitches the the better it's going to be right that's the problem we have is how many innings is he going to pitch i kind of felt he you know at the time i thought he's just going back to new york it's going to be a slam dunk there great team right um either way i knew i would get a lot of strikeouts based on the innings um it's just a health concern and at my at that point i go 
if I'm going to take that second pitcher really quickly and just get like a real big, nice lead and, 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 you know, the strikeouts and, and get ahead of everybody, maybe afterwards it's going to be a long swing back towards me. Um, I know at that point I'm setting myself up to not take another pitcher for quite a few rounds. And I said, that's it. Just stamp it with two really good ones and uh, put the rest of the guys kind of on, on the burn. They're all going to start having to take pictures after me. And uh, I mean, the Grom's just elite. If he's in and healthy, he's, you know, could be the first pitcher taken. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it could be one of the highest picks of the draft. If we know that he's going to get over a hundred innings, 180 innings in 2023. Here's a fun stat. Um, DeGrom's strikeout rate last year was 39.4%. Oh, wait, no, that's his K minus walk rate. That's how good Jacob DeGrom was in 2022. Yeah, the question is, do we want to take that chance or not? You're saying a 12-teamer, it's worth it to take that risk. I'm probably not going to because I don't feel I need to put myself in that much of a hole in the third round. I would much rather just get my value and get out. Obviously, it's not a full season risk we're thinking of. We're thinking, okay, last year was 64 innings. 2021 was 92. Maybe you get 100 or something along those lines when it's more the the floor of the situation. Still, uh, the other pitchers around here, Sandy Alcantara is still on the board. I personally would go for a safer return uh, than going for DeGrom. I look, if you feel that DeGrom's going to be healthy for 150 innings next year, go for it. Have fun. I understand the boomer bust mentality too. Uh, you got to take chances, make mistakes, get messy. That's the Miss Frizzle method I mm-hmm. talk about. That's more for the back half of the draft. Um, as it's not a best ball league and everyone treats it like it is. And it's not. <laughs> it's not. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say about Jacob DeGrom. Now, after that pick, though, so you got two starters. How did it shape your next picks? Right. So something I I, I think what next was what? Luis Robert? Uh, is that who I took next? Luis Robert? It was our fourth pick. Yes. Okay, I knew I had it. Yeah. Um, right. Again, I, I'm still just living dangerous. I, I just want to uh, get the best player. And for me, this is a guy we were taking like second round. The talent and upside is just immense. Um, I understand he's still yet to put together like this massive um, full season just because he's had some some injuries. Uh, and, you know, being from the Chicago area, you, you read about these guys too somewhat. And uh, this is a guy that they were in the hunt, the, the, the White Sox were, up until the end. And, you know, he's like, I'm just going to go out there and keep trying to play. He probably should have gone on the IL and, and just didn't. Um, that oh, mean, yeah. no, it probably should have happened, but he was a gamer and out there. Um, so when people call him like soft, I don't know 100% if that's actually true. He just got hurt. And unfortunately, in a couple of years, he's been hurt. If you take it back out and you just look at like his body of work of what he's done, uh, you know, over the last two seasons, you're talking almost 700 plate appearances. He's obviously not getting 700 plate appearances, but uh, if you extrapolate it out, it's, it's 96 runs, 25 home runs, 99 RBIs, 17 stolen bases with a near 300 batting average. Now, I'm not saying that's what he's going to do, but he's capable of doing a ton of things in a little bit of time. And I like I don't mind grabbing risk at the back end, but I also don't mind in a 12 team or grabbing risk up front, especially in my outfield where uh, I can find something 
eventually if I really need to in a short time, but uh, sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because also those plate appearances, as you mentioned, he was playing hurt, so they weren't even the, the top level of his ability. Um, Luis Robert could be a very fun one going in the fourth round. He's going higher, I believe, second round in last uh, year's drafts. Could be coming out that discount because of the injury risk that we've seen over the past two seasons. I would love for him to have a full season. It just it's good for baseball when you have players playing at the best of their ability. And uh, I would love to see it. Sure. Uh, Randy Rosarena is up next fifth round here. You, you get your second outfielder. And I do want to uh, mention that a common discussion every year during these mocks, is that you got to have a plan for a position. It's like part of the bingo card that you have for Nick Pollock's mock draft series. And I'm seeing a trend here where you're avoiding a lot of the infield. Um, was this something that was a plan of yours or did you regret it later? Or did you feel, no, that's that's good. I'm, I'm happy about this. I got guys I like later instead. And not necessarily. Uh, like I keep referring, you know, there's a bit more out there. I, I think even replacement level and somewhat at a, at a 12 teamer. And at the time, it's just keep putting guys up that I think can do a little bit of everything and keep just stacking away players as far as outfield. I, I believe that there is like a steep cliff and you start running into a guy like a lot of platoon guys and um, it's just not worth it after a certain point. And I'm going to push up my outfielders <laughs> as much as I can just to, uh, especially if they can run. And I know we're talking five by five head to head, which, you know, it's not quite the same as Roto. Admittedly, I'm like a full-time Roto player. So head to head is not my style, but again, Give me a week where I can get a Randy Rosarena who can just, uh, you know, light it up and steal four bases today. And, and you know, there's been a bit of talk on whether the bases being bigger is going to cause quite a difference. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned it in the, the, the chat is, is I don't think we'll see a massive, massive spike in stolen bases. I think what we'll see is a spike in efficiency in stolen bases. And if you're a stole, if you're a guy who steals bases, um, you do it because of intent. And Randy got thrown out a heck of a lot of times. And maybe with maybe oh, he, yeah. if he just fixes that somewhat, you're talking about a guy who I don't know, maybe he can steal 35, 40 bases, you know, just because. Um is an interesting guy, and I think with the rules it could be uh something interesting to grab at the top again. Yeah, Rosarena, Randy Rosarena, I got this. Uh, 32 stolen bases and 12 caught Mm -hmm. stealing. So that would be 44 full 100% efficiency. Uh, 20 home runs last year, 89 RBI, 72 runs, 263 average. I personally stay away. Um, I didn't actually in my draft, but my general strategy for 12 teamers in head-to-head leagues categories are to not punt stolen bases, but not be as aggressive uh, rather than the three majors that is home runs runs and rbi those to me are the kings of head to head as it's average is a very finicky thing week to week and stolen bases if you have a guy who's 25 in a season that's one a week and that is such an uh, you don't really know if you're going to win that week or not based on that so to go and chase them for one category not really my shtick so i don't know if randy rosarini is my favorite one However, going to get a ton of them next year again. Going to have good RBI totals, good 
uh, home runs, runs, the whole shebang, as you're saying. You like well-rounded guys. Randa Rosarena is certainly one of them. I I also saw Jeff Zimmerman put out his top 100 hitters based on a lot of the stuff, and Randy Rosarena is up there. Um, so something to consider. Obviously, pushing up the stolen base uh, ability still something to, to consider. You got power, though, in the sixth round. Not I don't think that you're going to see Kyle Schwarber steal too many. He did have 10 stolen bases last year, to be fair. 46 home runs, 100 runs, 94 RBI, 218 average. Talk to me about Kyle Schwarber. Right. You kind of said it. Average is pretty darn wonky in head-to-head. Um, and Schwarber is going to be a guy who, if anyone's going to get saved by the shift rules, it's going to be a guy like him. Um, either way, I, I don't see this batting average getting into like a super respectable spot. But at this point in the draft, I am definitely behind on power, right? Because I've been taking rounded guys that can do a little bit of everything. I can feel it. And the way to make it up is to take a guy that just uh, smashes home runs as much as he can. Yeah. Big boy hit big home runs. Right. And yeah, so I'm taking this. That's what I need. Just give me yeah. 40 home runs <laughs> and it'll make it worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. I, uh, mm-hmm. he should do it again. Kyle Schwarber. Uh, I don't really have much more to say than that. Uh, I walk and, rate and 13%. drive in Turner if he can. Um, this one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, working together because clearly you knew that at the beginning of this draft. Of course. Hard contact rates up there, 56%. Yep. Um, so what if he has an average that was 278th in the majors last year? I Yeah, I mean, Kyle Schorber in the sixth round, to me, it's almost like the Gallo pick of ages ago. Right. Um, punting average for home runs, but... This average is not the same as Gallo's back then because I feel there's a bigger shift downward of average uh, in general. And as you mentioned, Schorber should get some of it back. Uh, he did have a 2.66 average in 2021, which I think you know blew all of us away. Um, it should be a little bit better in 2022 than the 2.18. Probably closer to 240, 2.45. That's okay. That's that's fine. You'll be okay with that one. So. I yeah, I like this pick a lot. Uh might get a seal of approval because I think you're right in that there's much not much power left. I think the guys that go next, it's like Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, and Starling Marte to me are the the last ones of the solid outfielders on the board. Um and Eli Jimenez went earlier in this yeah, round. Yeah, he was the target. But there's a part of me that kind of wants to circle the sixth round as get an outfielder for me because yeah Eloy Schwarber Springer Marte one of those four I think you'd be really happy to have um who's like the last they're the last bit before the cliff falls um so if you can get one in the seventh that's great Schwarber and Eloy I think are a little bit above Springer and Marte Springer with the injury risk will Marte is age um but uh but yeah I like this I'm gonna give you a seal of approval for this one I uh, seventh and eight. That's when you're supposed to pump your fist in the air. No, right? I'm happy with it. Supposed to be super. I'm thrilled. happy with it, and it rounded out the outfield. <laughs> and that was like a goal going in. As I wanted to grab outfielders like pretty darn quick, and just remember it's only mm. three. So I'm like, once I get this, now we'll start focusing on on some of the other. Absolutely. Uh so here you are, seventh and eighth round, and you went back to back closer, Hendricks and Romano. Uh tell me about this plan. It was on the swing back. I knew that it would be a while till it came back to me. And 
you can tell this is a mock because no one had taken a, a closer by now. And I can say for a fact, as, as someone yeah. who's drafting right now, this is not the case. And I know that they're yes. different. I mean, what are you what are you drafting for? It's it's draft champions NFBC, correct? Doing the gladiator right now. It's yeah, the gladiator, and that's right. it's that's a different wild thing you're seeing pushed up. But even in the DCs that uh, that I've seen, it's still a push up. Yeah, uh, I mean, both of those also have a general overall Absolutely. as well that you need to have closers for it. The closers are much more in flux at the moment. Thus, the ones that are known to have jobs get pushed up in those formats. Emmanuel Class A, by the way, yep, did yep, go in I'm the fifth that. round. So you got the the second in Liam Hendricks, and then uh, Diaz and Helsley both went later in the seventh. So you got the eight, uh, the fifth in Jordan Romano. Um, yeah, so why Hendricks and Romano specifically? Uh, at the time, Diaz hadn't been signed. And... Like if you had told me back then he's resigning for a billion dollars in New York, I <laughs> I would have taken Diaz. Um, we have seen how good he can be, you know, at times, and we've seen how bad he can be too. Um, sure. But it would have been. I just knew that it, Hendricks is going to get the save every single time, and at that moment, that was the point. And I knew I was going to double tap it with Romano. Uh, if it came back to me and mm-hmm. there was still like a Romano left or um, I was hoping maybe, I, I don't know what would come back with it, but that was really what I was hoping for was Romano to come back. Um, because like I said earlier, I knew if I took two early starting pitchers, I'd probably wait a long time until I took another one. And so I knew I would need relief pitchers that struck out a heck of a lot of guys and could get, you know, sure. could get to the save still. So Romano and Hendricks, kind of help bridge that gap so much because at that point you know gosh who's got you know Metzlar has five starting pitchers while I've got two after I had taken Romano Romano, and (laughs) you know he pushed it up a little bit so I went the other way um plus everyone just waited yeah I mean I I only had two starters yep but I just always take I I forget about relievers whatever no you're absolutely right you're not going to get these this discount before I saw you do this. I was like, Oh, that's kind of fun. And I, I missed the boat on it. Absolutely. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of like the, uh, <laughs> I do like the approach of getting a staff. Um, I don't like, I don't hate it of having a staff early and then, rel- then going, you know, waiting longer than I normally do on, on starting pitching. The problem to me is just my strength is finding pitching in the wire and not hitting. And I think especially this year, the first two rounds, oh boy, there's so much talent. The second round guys are first round guys. Um, and more so than we have seen in previous seasons. And I cannot turn that down. Uh, double tapping on hitters. It kind of makes it for me why I don't want to be in the top, I guess, three or four picks of the draft just to ensure that I have two of the top 20 hitters. Uh, there's a chance it's like this again where Cole and Burns aren't picked until 22 and 23 in whatever draft they go into. And not to mention, who is the first overall? I don't quite know who that is. I'm making an interesting argument, I think, about Mookie Betts, actually, in in a format like this because of his second-base eligibility um, in Yahoo League. So something to consider there as second base is rough. And you still don't have a second baseman or a third baseman or a first baseman. However... CJ Crone is your pick in the ninth round. How do you like Crone? 
Right. So um, I think if we could, again, go back in time, I would have taken maybe Jose Abreu as he goes off to Houston. Oh, well, you could have. He was uh, oh, he right, was a right. pick before. You're right. You're right. So you're saved. Oh, oh, okay. You can't even go back in time. And like you, you go back in time for one thing and you don't even achieve the yeah, thing you want to do. Unbelievable. Um, so what a waste Crone, of a time machine. Uh, you know, he failed off at the end there, but a first baseman that can do a lot. The thing I like is while he's got power, um, he also can hit pretty well for average. And that's a big part of what I was, you know, really looking for at that moment because i knew i needed some power i knew i still wanted a guy that could do things um and then i knew i was eventually going to take another first baseman later and someone that i could plug in when he's not at cores so that way i'm kind of maximizing the position and uh sure all the first baseman i you know, i was reluctant and that was one of the things i noticed as i was writing this up is if you want like a really good first baseman you got to get that like back end of the first because they go quick and yeah, the one I really yeah the first five, uh, Alonso Guerrero, Freeman, Goldschmidt are all in the second round. The fifth one there is Matt Olson in the third. There's also Vinny uh, Pascantino, I think I said that right, uh, in the eighth round, um, who could be more of a aggressive one as you mentioned, Jose Abreu. But yeah, those the top five go quickly. Yeah, I was really hoping for to get lucky and maybe see Matt Olson come back in the fourth and like you snatched him up in the third and they went not a chance, not a chance. I, you know what I thought okay these guys are just gonna run pitchers out the door and, and there's a chance not me oh it, it didn't happen it was no one of the few times I was like well that didn't work at all <laughs> in this this mock and I'm like <laughs> we're just gonna wait a little bit and get you know, uh, someone like CJ Crone and piece it together with someone else. Uh, and when he's in, he'll be great and we'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, that that's really the thing is when he's at cores, it's fantastic. When he's not, you need a backup plan. We'll talk about what those backup plans mm -hmm. are for the rest. And of course, the second half of your draft after a quick break. So you finally after nine rounds, go back into starting pitching. Thankfully. Oh, whew. And it's Chris Bassett and John Gray. And uh, talk to me about this one. Were you, when you said to yourself after Cole and DeGrom, okay, this is the pitcher that I'm going to jump back in for, or was it a certain round that you're going for? There was two pitchers. And after I made that pick with DeGrom, okay. I said to myself, there's two that I want. And they want to be a little bit more stable. And I want, um, <laughs> give me Chris Bassett or uh, Logan Webb. And as soon as one of those come off the board, I'm going to take the other one. And I wanted those two guys. I really wanted to get them in a round earlier if I could have. But I didn't want to miss Crone. And I must have taken him because Abreu went. Um, but, you know, I knew I needed someone maybe a little bit more stable because I've gone with um, DeGrom and we know it could get a little dicey <laughs> and you're already kind of dicey early. So uh, best to me, is just a guy that's like, he's going to throw a bunch of innings. Uh, he just, he's that stable base that I get at my SP three. And like I said, he, he just, he pitches exactly like I want him to pitch. 
you know, like you talk about the Blake Snell blueprint. And this is sort of like, you know, if you're going to throw the fastballs, throw them in the, you know, the high lock that we talk about. You know, he's got to get um, oh, good old high, high lock. lock. You know, oh, always looking at, at love the high lock for it. Uh, and he mixes it around. He knows how to steal the strike with his curveball. He throws it really early in the count. Right. So if you can get away with it and get that extra early count, he can because he's not a guy that's just going to blow by you. He's going to have to work with a a real vast arsenal. And that's one thing I do like. If you're not going to just be a power pitcher that gets strikeouts, give me like a nice set of skills. Right. Give me an arsenal that's more than just two pitches, because at that point, if it's not working, you're just going to blow up. And that's one reason that I'm a big fan of uh, um, of Bassett is. He's a pitcher, but knows how to pitch. He's a veteran. And at that point, I was, again, I mean, he hasn't signed yet, but I'm really hoping he was going back to, to New York. It made a lot of sense before they signed uh, Jose Quintana. And, uh, oh, who was the second one? That they, I mean, Justin Verlander. Yeah. Um, so before, before both of those going to the Mets, Bassett doesn't quite fit right mm-hmm. now because of Teller McGill and David Peterson or are there right now. I imagine they're not going to pursue another, but it's possible. Maybe Rodon just shows up and my Tyler McGill hopes get sapped away. Um, but one very interesting thing about Chris Bassett to me is that he saves his four-seamer for two-strike counts over a 55% two-strike count on the four-seamers past three seasons. Right. And that's why you see these swing strike rates above 15% on it. And it's high lock city. Yeah. Oh, that's like, what you like, want to see like high locations of 66% right? like, on it. It's like I said, every- it's what he does. He just elevates his four seamer two strikes and that's it. That's he has its role and he executes it. And uh, it's exactly to your point. Um, the sinker got to get that in the zone and get those called strikes. 28% called strike rate on Bassett sinker. The league average is about 19, 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so good at that. He gets his cutter to sneak in at the top of the zone, um, mostly against the lefties to uh, jam them up and in while the slider is going down and away. It's a decent pitch. It's not the greatest one ever, but still 18% hard contact allowed. And of course, as you mentioned, that curveball, he does save it early. He doesn't throw one behind. He does save it for two strike opportunities, though, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and he did improve upon that uh, a little bit. Actually, he pulled it back this past year, um, but it's been a decent offering for him. It all works. For Chris Bassett, I remember many times writing him up being like, the sinker is just good and I just hope something else does great too on a given day. Otherwise, uh, Bassett might be too hyper-reliant on the sinker at times. But yeah, he's stable. 180 innings last year. Uh, and you feel like he's just going to go out there and pitch well. Good ratios. Should be a strikeout rate north of 20%. Could possibly hint at 25% as he did in 2021. I like Chris Bassett all around. He's part of this tier for me of uh, Framer Valdez, Logan Gilbert, Logan Webb, George Kirby, where they're stable guys that aren't. I don't I don't think any of us expect Bassett to jump into being top 10 pitcher territory or anything like that. And there are certain guys that are going around this point in your draft that could hint at that. They have the ceiling to flirt with it. Freddie Peralta went right after, for example. Um. Still, not what you needed because you had Cole in the Grom. You just need something a little safer. And you you also, I mm-hmm. guess, did it with John Gray. I'm curious what your thoughts are on him. All right. So John John Gray was like, uh, last year, he was like my most drafted pitcher. And I'm a big John Gray fan. Um, 
I mean, I mentioned this, like, so he was really good, like in that middle part of the year when the, when the velocity was there. Right. And, oh man, it was so nice. He has a slider that just puts, puts batters away, specifically right-handed batters. Um, in, in fact, against right-handers, he's, he's fastball, he's four seamer slider and that's about it. And I part wonder if Texas does this by design because he has to pump that velo and maybe he's not a guy that's going super deep into games. This last year, I know they kind of cut him back a little bit as far as like going deeper into games. And, and I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe it was because they realized he's got to save some of that, um, but he did get hurt. Uh, and he does, the, the big problem he has is he just, he struggles against left-handed bats. They come in there and uh, and still get to him. And I think he just doesn't have that deep enough arsenal, but um, he's a guy that can just really rack up uh, the strikes in a hurry or the strikeouts when he needs to. And, and he's doing it by getting ahead again with that curveball. ball. Like we kind of talk about it. He's trying to steal the early strike and then use some of that back end arsenal uh, to get it. So for me, I, I think John Gray at times can perform much better than an SP four, which is where I'm drafting him. Um, it's just, will that velo, that fastball velo be there to help, you know, get him out. Yeah, John Gray had it during a 10-start stretch um, from the beginning of June through uh, the 21st of July. And that's when he was averaging 96. And that's when you're talking about, oh, he was an ace in that time. That's right. It was it was glorious, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. 234 ERA, 101 whip, 30% carry, 6% walk rate in 62 innings. Oh, he was averaging over six innings per start in those, yep. in those games. And to your point a little bit about the slider, um, a little inconsistent against lefties. It is really good, though. Uh, he throws a 24% less than the 36 he throws against lefties. But a 109 batting average allowed this past year, just 3.6% hard contact. He threw it 240 times, too. This isn't just a slouch of it. Uh, so I think there's something there if he keeps leaning in on it. Instead, he did favor that changeup, which is not a good one. 31% hard contact allowed on it. The fastball allowed a 305 average against lefties. Um, and that curveball kind of used a little bit more, but no, nah, it's just taken for a cold strike most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm i one of those people that believes it doesn't matter. Righties, lefties, some say, oh, no, you're supposed to throw fewer sliders against lefties. It goes into their bat. If you put it in the right place, it does not matter. You can do a backdoor slider to grab the outside corner, and then you can steal swings and misses underneath the zone down and in. You see it all the time. Think of Randy Johnson uh, throwing sliders into right-handers who dive underneath the bat. Yes, I know John Gray doesn't have the same arm angle and everything, but it's the same idea. DeGrom does it all the time to left-handers. This is what John Gray should be doing too. I hope that he pushes that more because it's still better than his changeup against lefties. I, I, I hope to see that. But really, as you mentioned, the velocity is king here. And if John Gray is sitting 96 and is able to not hit the IL and lose his rhythm. Yeah. SP4 John Gray all, all the way. Love it in the 11th round. Uh, 12th round is another first baseman. You were thinking, hey, I got to pair someone with CJ Crone. I've heard some negative things about Mountcastle, um, about the Great Wall of Camden. Uh, drastically, uh, or I guess the pushed back Wall of Camden. Uh, the retreating, I don't know. Mountcastle hits fewer home runs because of it. 22 
uh, last year, 85 home runs, 82 runs, 250 average, four stolen bases. Do you think this is Mount Castle or is there more to see? Um, no, I, I think we're trending in the right direction. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. What, there's a couple of things on our player pages that I really uh, think people should look at. And that's the IPA and ICR, the ideal plate appearance yeah. and the ideal contact rate. And that's where you see Ryan Mountcastle really take a step forward. Last year, 25.8% in the IPA, you know, and then he jumps up to 30. League average about 25, right? So he's making um, better contact all the time. You know, the ICR was 39.7, jumped up to 45. 37 is about MLB average, right? This is a guy who has power. Did the wall take a little something away? Sure. Um, If you just look at... uh, his barrel rate, it was 11.6, jumps up to 14.6, right? So the guy is able to mash the ball. He has great quality of contact. He's making better contact. I understand that they push those walls back, but we're not, he's not hitting in Comerica, right? He's still hitting in, in plenty of, uh, there's still room for more home runs. Um, I think 2011, he was kind of fastball hunting because most of his home runs came off of, or 2021. Most of them came off of fastballs, and then um, it didn't happen so much. And I think maybe it was a little bit of an anomaly, and I think there's more home runs in this bat. And I th- personally, I think next year um, we're going to be bumping them up quite a few rounds. And this discount in the, what was it, 11th round, um, you're going to put them above probably someone like CJ Crow next year. Definitely. A, this was 12th, actually. 12th, you're right. 12th round. Um, right. 11 was it, great. I mean, I would. And I uh, and about ICR and IPA quickly. ICR was created by John Metzler here at Petrolist. Uh, 46% is way above the league average of 38%. While IPA was then adapted from that by Christian Mack here at Petrolist uh, to say instead of a bit bad a ball event, which is what ICR is under, let's do it over plate appearance. So IPA. Um, and that's 31% for Mount Castle as opposed to the league average of 26. And that's pretty dang good. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully he is, <laughs> I don't know, more than 22 home runs. I mean, what would you say the home run total should be for Mount Castle in 2023? Board bet 30. Board bet 30. I'll take the huh? under. I, I just hate that stupid wall. The wall's stupid. It's so far back. Why did John Means have to get injured right when they instituted well, the wall? It's not, yeah, it, it's not yeah, I drafted a lot of them last year too, but um, uh, we'll see. We'll fair. see if it's a dead and ball again. If it's a little bit livelier, it could be totally different. Um, personally, I think that when you look into, when That's you look into point. his launch angles and exit velocities, he was extremely unlucky. Uh, I think there's probably some more home runs in that bat that just didn't happen. Is it eight? That's a, a lofty goal, but um I, I think there's quite a bit there. And there's also a guy who's pretty darn young. He could grow into a little bit more power. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Mount Castle is going to be 26 uh, for next year. Flyable exit velocity was 90.1. Um, it's supposed to 87 of league average. I, I love flyable exit velocity more than just general. Yep. Uh, it's what Todd Zola said at first pitch Arizona in 2021. And I... Was sitting next to Miles Nelson. I was like, "Write that down." <laughs> <laughs> we have to have that on our player pages, and we do, uh, which is which is a good time. Uh, next up in the thirteenth round, you finally are trying to address the infield and you get Hori Polanco um, in the thirteenth round. How do you feel about this one? 
Right. So kind of back into like the, the Louis Robert um, sort of mentality here is I like to take a guy at their, at their, at their bottom. Right? And, and he's much better of a hitter than mm-hmm. that. You know, a few years ago, this guy is what, like 33 home runs, stealing 16 bases. Again, a lot of tools there. Last year was, you know, a down year for a Jorge Polanco. Partly in fact that he got injured. When we say a down year, he still put up a 119 WRC plus. Um, and that came with like a 269 BABIP. He's, he's a much better hitter. He's a career 300 BABIP. But outside of all that, again, um, when he makes contact, the quality of contact is just outstanding. And this is a guy that could jump back up into the, the, the being able to match home runs. At this point, I've also kind of felt like I've addressed stolen bases really well with rounded out guys who can swipe bags. Sure. And I'm still focusing on power. And it's extremely hard to find power at the second base. But I didn't pay the upwards freight that a lot of people did. I missed out when I was taking earlier, and I had to try and remedy that. And uh, at the middle infield or second base, Polanco was my best bet um, to make up some of that power and in that spot. Yeah, Jorge Polanco, I I, I kind of dig this. Uh, 33 home runs, as you mentioned, 2021, 16 in 2022, but just 104 games, 445 plate appearances. Look, if he goes 20 home runs next year from second base, I don't know if there's anyone else on the board. I mean, you could say Gleyber Torres, uh, who went the 14th round. Uh, you actually maybe got someone in the in the 15th round um, that could maybe flirt with that as well. Same with Kettle Marte in the Kettle Marte in the 16th round. Um, but yeah, Jorge Polanco seems like someone that you'll plug in second base. Maybe you'll look into swapping him around midseason if it's just not panning out. But you have fourteen percent walk rate is why you see that high WRC plus uh, from Jorge Polanco at three forty six on base percentage is better than what it was in twenty twenty one, which would mean that his run production should still be good as well. Um, so you found a solution. I don't know if it's the best plan. I don't know how much I buy Hori Polanco on the upswing next year, but you do make a good case for it, and hopefully that does happen. Uh, 14th round, you decide to get another starting pitcher. Why Jordan Montgomery? Right. I, I mean, I, I've always had a soft spot for Jordan Montgomery. Uh, and, well, he doesn't talk about no, you, I so I don't uh, know. I'm just. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that was I, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm saying that. I, I've always had one too, man. I'm with no, you. No, and I, I get it. Uh, and uh, the, the trade came to the the Cardinals, which which I thought was absolutely great. It's um, I think a much much better defense than the Yankees. And for a guy that that ends up putting oh, the yeah. ball on the ground quite or putting the ball the batted balls on the ground quite a bit, and the Cardinals kind of did something a little sneaky when they had him. I think like kind of bump up the fast or the four seamer a little bit, which I thought was able to get. Yeah, it was weird at first. They did. It, it went away at the end. Kind of stopped it. It was yeah, weird. Like the, the final yeah. end, there was no, it, he just went back to the sinker and that kind of th- threw me for a loop here. But again, when he goes out, he has a right. good plan. Um, he's not a massive strikeout guy, although he's not off the, the charts either. I think there's um, a chance he could get back up to like a 25%, 26 uh, pretty consistently. You you want him to, yeah. with that changeup and curveball, each missing a ton of bats, 24% swing strike rate on the changeup last year. And th- if you're going to be a lefty, I really want to see a changeup in your arsenal just to be able to neutralize some of the right-handed mm. bats. I think it's one of the better weapons for them that comes out of there, uh, especially when, again, he's a guy yep. who's 
not throwing massive heat all the time. So I kind of need a guy who, at this point too, I wanted someone that was uh, a touch more on the stable side as John Gray was someone Mm -hmm. that I felt I um, could bump up to being more than an SP4. And uh, I just wanted to come back a little bit safer. And at that point, the guys going around, Tyler Valle, Luis Garcia, Lucas Giolito, um, none of them are, are safe as uh, Montgomery was to me. Yeah, so I get mm-hmm. that. Um, my mentality is you take four four for floor and then the rest are upside, right? I don't have a rhyme for the second half of your rotation. I'll figure one out, okay? Uh, but so at Montgomery... It's not bad. It's not like, I don't think you'll drop Montgomery the entire year. He's closer to the Toby that I want him to be just because he can't come through on that 14% swing strike rate and convert that into a strikeout rate. I mean, 22% isn't bad. I see the 3 4 8 ERA and the 109 whip kind of as a surprise season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to be a 109 whip guy moving forward. Uh, I, I see Montgomery more like a 117, 116. Um, that's just because I don't think the walk rate's going to be 5% moving forward. I think the hit per nine at eight, I guess that's fine, but it should be a little bit more than that. Uh, just because that sinker and four seamer are not these excellent offerings. Um, and he doesn't get enough strikes with curveballs and changeups. A sub 60, sorry, not, not the change of changeup gets a ton of them, 70%, but it gets hit hard 24% despite 24% hard contact, despite the 24% swing strike rate while the curveball. It's around 58, 59% strike rate. He can't ultra rely on it, which means that he has to throw these sinkers and fastballs, which four seamers, 34% hard contact rate and sinkers at 30%. I, it just is too risky and too boring at times for me. I, again, don't think he's has that opportunity to really soar above. So I, I mean, I like to take risks mm-hmm. then because it's like, okay, this is where I can actually find my value in my draft. I think I'd rather take a chance on Giolito. Maybe he fixes it and resets it. You didn't have a chance. You drafted Montgomery okay. after. Um, but like Singer, Kopech, and Detmers, and Charlie Morin, and Patrick Sandoval all went after. I'm not necessarily saying that I wouldn't take Montgomery over them. Um, I don't know, actually. I think I think I would. Mm-hmm. He's. I think he has a higher chance of having a better season. It's just about how I craft it. Like, I don't want to be in a spot to take Montgomery. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, I don't hate it, though. Uh, it's just like the, the most negative, positive take I, I can give on a pick. No, I get, uh, it. I get it. I get it. And part of it was, uh, I think he's going to win a lot of games, which I know it's a wonky stat. Winning but games is something that when I we do, start looking at, do undervalue yeah, at times. Yeah, when we start looking so. at pitchers around there, like... Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of against picking Dodge or picking Angel Angel pitchers. Sure, I get that a lot. Um, funny story about Montgomery. He struggled yeah, to get yeah, wins yeah. for the That's longest the time. Um, just out of, but that was just out of like the wonkiness, not the actual skill sure. set. Um, let, let's move on to uh, your 15th round pick. That's Jonathan India. And Jonathan India had this fantastic 2021 season. 21 home runs, 12 stolen bases, 269 average. And it just did not come through in 2022. 10 home runs, 249 average. He was dealing with injury all year. Do you see a big upswing? I mean, as you were saying, you like getting guys and they're down year. 
Yep. So India was a top prospect for the Reds, highly regarded for having a great hit tool. And I remember like drafting him in a home league out of college because I thought, oh my God, this guy, you know, he can spray the ball into everything. And he had that great year. And then, you know, at this point, the 15th round, I was probably looking at some other things and knowing that Polanco does have some injury history and there could be something. I still want to get a guy and we have utility spots, two utility spots. So uh, I figured let's go back to India. And there's a few reasons that I kind of see him. When I take a step back and look at his season, it looks like a guy to me that was like really pressing. And I think part of it is he started hurt. He comes back in April and he's like his old self nearly hits 300, 295, um, decent on base, but no pop. It's not there. And I think partly is he's still hurt. Um, comes back in uh, at some point and gets hurt again. And then he finishes out really poorly. Uh, and part of the reason is like, the reason it makes me think he was pressing is his like, this is a guy, like I said, really regarded for having a good hit tool, controls the zone. Um, the strikeout rate came down, but like his first strike percentage and hitting under the ball, like soared. And it makes me think there's a guy that maybe was like, I'm just going to try and put balls over the fences and he's just not seeing it right. He's constantly on the field, off the field. Uh, and I'm like, I want to see if I can get Jonathan India 2021 back. I think that's a fun pick to make in the 15th round, especially considering you didn't have a secure second baseman in Polanco. And this is someone you could slot in and can see who has the hot hand and just push on them. I uh, for the full year, I think I like it. I, uh, it's still a really good place to hit. <laughs> so I, uh, you're likely going to see him at the top of the order, get a lot of runs uh, and hopefully get those home runs and RBIs back up. That average, as you mentioned, as well should come back up as well. I dig it. Um, I think it's a fun pick. I actually, I think you get a seal of approval for this one uh, because I think a lot of people complain about second base and this is the guy to get if you're, if you're failing at it because, okay, like swing for the fences with something here in, in Jonathan India, 15th round. Sounds great to me in a 12 teamer. Uh, you don't have a third baseman no. though. No, I, uh, he laughs uh, anxiously. <laughs> yeah yeah um, um but seven home runs 55 no, stop, stop, run, uh, runs 41 rbi 20 no. stolen bases 244 average last year for cabrian hayes All right. what is he doing on your team in the 16th okay round? so at this point um after this draft and then immediately when i started going into other drafts uh i made a very very sturdy point to get a third baseman earlier because it fell off very quickly. So there's a couple of things about Cabrian Hayes, though. Um, he keeps hitting the ball harder every year. It's max exit velocity, everything you want to see. Like he's hitting the ball harder, making good hard contact year after year. Um, the biggest problem is I don't think he understands he can pull the ball. Somebody needs to grab him and say, Cabrian, <laughs> there is a left field fence that you can aim for because everything is opposite field and ground ball. This is the last yeah. year I would draft um, Cabrian Hayes because it's been quite a sample size of him doing the same thing over and over. And at this point, I realize I need a third baseman. Um, there are some third basemen I like well much more than the ones that were taken after my pick. Um, so I felt like, look, if it's more of the same, 
more of the <laughs> opposite field ground balls. I'm going to dump him and go after somebody else. At this point, too, when you think about third base, there is not a whole lot of stolen bases. And my team need is, like, I'm still looking at home runs, RBIs, and stuff like that. Right. And that is, if you're picking up a third baseman, the easiest thing to find. So part of it comes with, if I have to dump this guy who I don't want to, who I think could kind of have a comeback, uh, I can find a third baseman that can do what my team will need. Yeah, you know, Josh Donaldson wasn't drafted. Yeah, he won't be. Okay, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I remember calling Cabrian Hayes the Toby of hitters, um, in previous years, and uh, I'm so sad to say that. Yes, I think that's right. Um, right, and at worst he's. <laughs> I hope it works out at, for at you. At worst he steals bases. Um, and this is a at the point at this point in the draft, like, right. This is a good a good thing to say to anyone who's new to drafting. Draft your team, look at it, and pick about thirty percent to drop because that's what you're going to do in a season if you're doing it right. Exactly. And at this right. point in, in round yes. sixteen, I understand I don't have um, an elite third baseman, but I also didn't spend the capital. And if I need to come back and get a new one, I figured like this is the last spot, which is you know that I'll that I'll go to was Cabrian Hayes. Sure. Um, were there other targets that you had on your board that you really wanted to go for? Well, you know, uh, I would have loved to have got Jose Ramirez and Austin Riley, but they went significantly early. <laughs> uh, I meant I meant the second half of the draft, of course. No. Uh, like at 16th round, 17th, 18th, were there any guys that you're on your board you that could, you're like, okay, I want to I want to ensure that I go after talk him. me into Josh Jung and yeah, that's the one I would think that I would say, like, look, if you're at this point in third base, instead of drafting Cabrian Hayes, you can get whatever you want. Uh, you know, Anthony Rendona, Isaac Paredes, uh, Rank Man, Josh Jung, uh, Jordan Walker, who is the Mr. Irrelevant pick of this that's draft, are the other third baseman that were taken. I uh, I wonder actually Jeff McNeil doesn't have third base, no. Um, but but what I'm trying to get at is Cabrian Hayes. Not much of a difference there. Exactly. So if there was someone that you're like, okay, I uh, I really wanted to be in on Jared Walsh or something like that. Uh, you don't have a catcher. If there's a catcher, like, oh, you know what? Maybe I want to go and grab William Contreras or something along those lines. I would have suggested that instead. But if you're just kind of like, I love my team. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> I'm just going to go off and get these things. Then cool. That sounds good to me. Um. Sonny Gray was next. He went back into the starting pitching well, and you went after Sonny Gray. Why Sonny Gray? Uh, I didn't want to. I knew that I didn't want to take a pitcher after a starting pitcher. Um, my thought: we were taking three relief pitchers in this. Was what we had to do. And at this point, I'd already addressed the early relief pitchers, so I knew I, my last pick was going to be a relief pitcher, and that was by design. <laughs> and then. Sonny Gray, to me, we've all kind of waited for him to leave Cincy. And, you know, again, this sticks back to a guy who's got a really nice full arsenal, right? Like, um, and he's going to be able to do to, to, to figure it out, I believe. Um, personally, I, I, looking at it, it was kind of strange. Like, I think in Cincy, he relied on getting ground balls, like, heavily. And I would, too, if I pitched there. And uh, if you notice, like, his fastballs, like, when we start talking again about the high lock, 
he's there's room for improvement there. He isn't throwing his fastballs in the the greatest spot. And if he just does, I think a few little no. tweaks. If he could get that up, uh, you could unlock some more K's. Yes, I think he might give up some more fly balls, and I'm okay with less ground balls if you're going to get more strikeouts in this in this instance. Um, and so that was a big part of it for me. Also, again, a step up in in, in defense. I think Minnesota from Cincy, but uh, we didn't get a whole lot from him. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, in this year, if he can just give me like 135 innings is something I, I would like to see. And if you can make that push to get the fastballs up, you know, like there's room for it. There's room for improvement. Um, I think we can, we're probably never, never going to see 2019, uh, Sonny Gray, who just kind of like exploded, right? That to me seems like an anomaly season for him. But again, give me a guy 25, 26%, uh, K rates. And then, you know, at that point with 135, you're, you're looking at a guy who could throw 170 strikeouts, maybe 180, and still have a whip that's uh, fairly decent. I don't think he's going to be a massive whip problem. I think it'll actually be uh, on the lower side. And for me, at least in drafts, this is probably, uh, when I look at some of the names, like this is a floor last pitcher for, or last uh, starting pitcher. And I think there's there's a little bit of upside here for some more Ks. Man, Sonny Gray is weird to me. Very weird. His fat it's it's his fastball. Um okay, there are times when his fastball and sinker are why he's successful in a given night, and that is not the ticket to success for Sonny Gray. It's curveball mostly and then slider as well. The curveball this year massively increases strike rate. That's why you see a 7.4% walk rate for Sonny Gray this year instead of like the 11% in 2020 and 9.6 in that breakout 2019 season had 9.6% walk rate all the way down to 7.4 because the strike rate went from 58% to 66% on the curveball as you threw it more in the zone, got more swings out of the zone as well. That's a huge deal. Now it's hard contact, not so good though. Uh, 25%, good batting average, 195 but still, I'm a little worried about that from, from Sonny Gray. The the slider cannot get a strike. 54% strike rate. He doesn't throw into the zone. 28% zone rate. Only a 34% O swing to justify. He, he hugs it glove side, which is kind of right. But it got hit harder and didn't find the zone as much. It's just the whole thing. It's like, what's going on with the slider? And that's it, really. I mean, he has this cutter. I don't really want to want to talk about the cutter much i don't think the cutter is significant i don't think it's a good offering it's just not worth anyone's time i i don't believe in sunny gray the fastball sinker pitcher and you're like nick you threw 120 innings last year being a fastball sinker pitcher and a 308 era and a 113 whip and a 24 k rate like this is fantastic <laughs> and i know i know i just the current status of Sonny Gray, I mean, with that curveball game, more strikes and everything, it's not as overwhelming as I want it to be. And I feel like the floor is going to fall out from under him a bit without that slider getting as many strikes and debilitating batters like it has in the past. This used to be a 23% swing strike rate pitch. It's just 15% now. I, I'm worried about that. Hopefully the curveball can be a 35% of swing again. That was the huge deal for game where strikes with it. But I don't know. Uh, that said, 17th round? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seal of approval.
Amazing. 17th round for me for Sonny Gray. I'm like, I literally just told you a guy that's like a top 20 pitcher in 120 20 innings last year, right? Like 308 ERA, 113 with 24% K rate. Great. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's a 17th round. The guy who went after was Mackenzie Gore. Mm-hmm. And I like Mackenzie Gore, but Sonny Gray just had a successful season. And it should not be like a four or five year, right? It should not be this ridiculous travesty of a year. It could be one for Gore. I like Gore, but Sonny Gray is clearly the better one. And that was the one right after. So seal of approval getting Sonny Gray in the 17th round. I think that's that's helpful. If you get a guy that's helpful for your team that you likely won't drop for the entire year with an upside to be better than a Toby, that's the dream in the 17th round. So congrats. Good job. Do, do, you, do you share the same sentiments that I just said about Sonny Gray? I do. I, I just think there's, uh, I don't know why. I, I see this is a guy that could um, be much better than where he's at. And I, I don't think it's that far away. Uh, I think he's he is changing a little bit from where he was in Cincinnati. And I do don't think he's a 308 pitcher. That's obviously uh, the lowest watermark we'll see for him. And I do think it's going to come up more. Uh, but yes, this is, let's just say, this is like when I'm looking at starting pitchers, especially if I'm not going to take another one, uh, you know, again, this to me feels like a floor pick for Sonny Gray. And if next year he's going, where are we at the seven? If next year he's going in the eighth round or ninth round, I wouldn't be surprised just because I think he, he could. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's, when I look at the board, uh, there's quite a few other, like I would, there's quite a few other pitchers I would take uh, before him that were, I would take him before quite a few others that were already drafted. Right. Yeah. Uh, feel free to name any of them and call out. Kenta other No, just, <laughs> who, yeah. Kenta Maeda. I under, I actually said I regretted that one after. No, I get that. Uh, I understand what you mean. But, uh, but no, Kenta Maeda, Kenta Maeda is so interesting. Cause I think, I think there's a higher ceiling for my eight than gray and i got him 16th i was like this is whatever yeah I, plus it could just be <laughs> there are 20 guys i want but yeah sunny gray i should have yeah i would prefer to have sunny gray i think for um i also at that point had six stars. oh yeah you do so i'm i'm shooting a little bit higher i should yeah. mention in that way um i don't like my reed detmer's pitch pick as much uh right now but then again it it's what gets really annoying is i want to take some of these guys later than the staff will let me well you're at this point you're um, at this point your rankings came out so how dare i'm they? sure people were taking that's supposed to be private only to the public <laughs> uh that's a sentence i'll never say again uh 18th round is jake mccarthy i uh, tell me about jake mccarthy Oh, so right. He kind of took everyone by storm for the stolen bases. Um, the power is, I don't know. The power is suspect to me. And uh, I'm hoping, I think when, after I had done this draft, I was kind of like going over each player. And I said to myself, like, who would be the first one I would cut? And Jake McCarthy was like one of the first ones. It was like an easy circle for me and at that point though it's also my Mm -hmm. i hadn't taken an outfielder since schwerber oh i'm sorry i take that back uh ryan moncastle is outfield eligible too but um 
Oh, is yeah, that right? he's first base outfield in well, Yahoo. It gives you everything. So I figured I'll take the guy with the speed. Maybe the power can be unlocked a little bit. Uh, I know when we kind of talked about it in the group chat, there was a little bit of talks like, is there going to be playing time for him? It's kind of crowded. Uh, I think they're going to start with him in that, in that uh, near the top of the order in Arizona, which I think is a sneaky little um, lineup. It's not as bad as people think. And, and there's really, I mean, it's, it's pushing in the right direction as of late. Um, and I think a guy who can sit up there, maybe we'll see how he looks at, at the beginning of the season. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is basically a speed pick, which it's fine. Yeah. Which you didn't need, but at the same Always. time, maybe Jake McCarthy unlocks something with his, with his power, eight home runs in 99 games. Yeah. Maybe that can be increased. All of a sudden, you have a twenty thirty guy. That's uh, that's pretty cool to have uh, this late in the draft. Um, all right, moving on to the nineteenth round. Then uh, we're gonna go to Tyler Stevenson. You got a catcher, yes, and you didn't wait to the very end. Why did you decide? You know what? I'm not gonna wait until the twenty second round because you established that the relief pitcher is the last mm-hmm. round. You jumped a few rounds and got Tyler Stevenson right. here. So. Uh... Every Saturday night of my life, I start writing a streaming catcher article for Pitcher List. And of your life, every <laughs> and <laughs> I enjoyed the one that you put out on Sunday yeah. um, this past and, week. Was... Uh, I spend a lot of time diving into catchers for uh, 10 team, 12 team, 15, two catcher. Uh, so if there is a position, I really feel that I can stream in a one catcher league, it's catcher. Um, as you probably feel oh, yeah. when you write your streaming pitcher article, um, like if you just picked up Sean Murphy when I told you to in like week two, we wouldn't be here in I week know. 30. Well, guys, we were all <laughs> shouting this, uh, all right? We knew about Dre Jameson for September. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It was nothing more than that. Uh, and you're talking about a guy, again, with a good hit tool. Like since he likes to take them guys that put balls in play Um, specifically, he makes really good contact in the zone. 87.5% is very Mm -hmm. nice, especially for a catcher. I know we only got a cup of tea and he got hurt and got hurt again. So it was really devastating if you drafted him. Um, But on top of being able to make good contact, which has kind of been a trade of him, um, a 163 ISO is again, pretty darn nice for a catcher. And this is a guy that could unlock some more power. I know we kind of said, like, does he have the power? I've heard these things on podcasts, and it's like, well, we we haven't seen a consistent Tyler O'Neill. I'm sorry, uh, Tyler O'Neill. A uh, consistent um, Tyler Stevenson. Uh, Tyler Stevenson. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I at this point again, I th- I think there's like one other person that hadn't taken a catcher, and um, I look at him as a guy who's just all you gotta do is get me 400 plate appearances. And I'll be okay with it. I think he'll produce at that point to be, uh, you know, he could easily be in the, the a top tier catcher. The fly ball exit velocity for Tyler Stevenson was ninety, sorry, eighty four point five, well below that average of eighty seven. Uh, you don't, you don't need uh, much at that. Point. That is the one. You don't need much at that park, though. Element of concern. <laughs> well, six home runs in 50 games, 183 plate appearances for Tyler Stevenson last year. I hope that it does come yeah. through. And hey, if it doesn't, what do you know? Just read your own article and you'll be fine. Um, 
after you write it, then look it over. Uh, Joey Gallo in the 20th round. This is just like, what the heck, right? Yeah. Knowing that I kind of took Jake McCarthy as just like speed. You know what? I, I Just in case somebody takes him and fix him. Um, let's take him out there. My good friend, Carlos Mercano, still rates him very high in his queue um ratings so mm. that is you know with a uh, like a nice stat that, that says he you know he could be a little bit better than what he should and let's face it he was pretty upfront in saying how bad his time was in new york and he was you know like i felt so bad right. we all felt so bad because he was so honest and we want honesty in our in our players and um then he tried la and it didn't work there either but uh yeah you know like the hard all the hard hit metrics we're trending in the right direction. He just didn't make the contact, right? Someone gets in there. I'm sure he's spending time just in a cage working on that. And again, if he comes back, it's more of the same easy cut. And we go on to the next thing. If he comes back, it could be like a giant, you know, bus or giant boom player. Yeah. Uh, there's also the shift going away that maybe could help him out. 53% sure. pull rate last year, which is well above the 40% league <laughs> average. Uh, hard contact rate, which includes plate appearance, I'm sorry, is 23%. Yeah. Sorry, Joey Gallo, the 18% barrel rate. You hit ball hard when you hit it, but you don't hit it too often. Uh, so hopefully that can improve. I think this is the largest ICR and IPA uh, difference that you'll see uh, between the two. That is 18% IPA, but 39% ICR. So above average and then way below average. Um, for Joey Gallo. Yeah, I mean, you'll also know before the season starts if you want to cut Joey Gallo, and that's pretty nice to know late in your draft, is if it's a team that you don't think is going to fix them or play them, they know, get them out of there. But if it's some nice, calm location uh, where there's not much pressure, maybe the Rays get him, and there could be something to that. Um, that could work. Maybe he goes to Miami and uh, prospers. I... Uh, I don't know. It, it could work out. I like the pick. I uh, Josh Naylor and Seth Brown. You essentially double dipped in first baseman. I mean, there's also a right field eligibility for uh, for Seth Brown. Um, talk to me about these two guys. Again, you know, with the UT spots being what they are, we need. And again, I'm feeling like I'm still maybe lacking power because I went so rounded up front. And Josh Naylor is a guy that Right, like Cleveland's crafted this team that's like get on base, chip away, and then Josh Naylor just swings like crazy at everything. And I'm hoping this is a guy that's just going to drive in runs, drive in runs. Um, and uh, you know, I look at what was it like 20 home runs, and I'm like, this guy's got way more potential to hit, uh, way more home runs than this. Uh, the metrics kind of back up that he's just the guy who's going to club the ball into the the bleachers. Um, and like I said, with people in front of him. I like it. I think he fell far too low um, for, for where he's at. And then Seth Brown, again, the dual eligibility, I think is, is super nice. If all else fails and I have to put someone at first base, he could go there. But um, he's really a guy that I think could chip into my outfield if need be. Um, and and uh, the, the, it's hard to find a guy with, with the speed at that can be put into first base, which he can do. Uh, there's a few things for Seth Brown that, that could work out. I think both those players um, probably went a little too low. Uh, I think in this mock draft, people kind of pushed up 
some prospects and these are just values that fell and I wasn't going to let them go. Yeah, they do have the sense of those guys that are on the waiver wire all year in 12 teamers. 25 home runs, 55 runs, 73 RBI, 11 stolen bases, 230 average for Seth Brown. While Josh Naylor does rank 39th in the majors in hard contact mm-hmm. rate at 32%, which is pretty cool. 20 home runs, just just 47 runs, yeah. 79 RBI, 256 average for Naylor. Uh, now, he was batting fourth by the end of the year. But there just isn't anything actually pretty much the entire season. Uh, it wasn't anything underneath him to score him when he did get on base 319 OBP. Uh, I see what you're doing, though. You you needed to get some cheap power you were talking about before, and you got it in your util spots. But again, as you mentioned, 30% of your team is going to be swapped out. You're thinking, look, out of the gate, I have util spots to get me some production, and then I'll figure out what to replace them with if I want to um, early in the season. I uh, Giovanni Gallegos was the reliever of choice. Why him? Well, I mean, the team started with him as the closer and uh, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank to the manager's name. I think it's Marmel. You know, he's kind of been a uh, quoted in saying like closer by calculation and he's not necessarily just sticking Helsley. Uh, if there was a, if there was a guy who I think could just Helsey's uh, injury history kind of scares me a little bit too. He's a fireballer and um, he's just really never been like healthy for a year. He's just kind of been in spots. Um, and Gallegos is, is pretty filthy. And at this point I knew I had two elite closers and saves were not necessarily something I had to get. So I was just going to wait till the last pick and put extremely little draft capital into it and just hope that, if Gallegos walks into 10 to 15 saves, great. If not, he um, is really, uh, he's going to help me in the ratios and get the strikeouts and do all the things you want for a relief pitcher anyway. Um, and, and he's kind of a fun pitcher. Um, I read this really cool article on the athletic. I forget who wrote it. I need to remember this. If I'm going to quote it, but he has like two sliders, like a normal slider and then a slider because mm. his arm slots like really over the top. So the slider is almost like a, reverse slider um is the way to put it so Hmm. when you kind of get that cool uh to quote savant right where they have like the inferred like handling of a pitch and you look at the slider it's like all around the ball because he actually kind of cocks his wrist a few different ways um it's pretty interesting but that's pretty cool uh that's the main reason just get me a reliever that might get some saves pop quiz david swan who had more strikeouts in 2022, Gallegos or Romano? Gallegos, I'm guessing. Trick question. They both had 73. Okay, so lot. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you got more strikeouts. You were talking about Romano and Hendricks both being strikeout guys. And what do you know? You have a guy that went 31% K rate last year across 59 innings. Uh, I get it. Maybe you'll still save the first week as you figure out the back end of your bullpen as well. Um, could make a lot of sense. Could be an incredibly smart 23rd round pick. But that's it. That's your last round. The last player on your team. On a scale of 1 to 23, 1 being the worst, 23 being the best, how would you rate your it's team? 20. <laughs> it's a 20 out yeah, of 20. 23. 17. No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Why a 20? I mean, I... I Personally, I, I love my staff. Um, 
<laughs> I think that, uh, you know, Colin DeGrom is really cool <laughs> just to look at. And I think I addressed, <laughs> I think I addressed power pretty interesting. Uh, right. You're not going to be able to, I just don't see any team being able to compete with saves. Um, I like my, my staff. And then sort of this cool jigsaw puzzle of um, batters that I can swap around. And I, I mean, a bunch has to bounce back the way I, I'd like it to, but I'm not afraid of that. Not in this one. Um, yeah, I would say that you're slightly light. I, you might want one more starter. Uh, and you are trying to make up on the hitting of taking Colin DeGrom by getting more bench stuff, which is generally my my plan for head-to-head leagues, I say often, is the first six weeks you're focusing on pitchers to try and get the good ones. And then after that, then you focus on the Monday, Thursday um, hitters uh, to get more plate appearances through the week um, in your head-to-head leagues. That's generally how I go about it uh, personally. But uh, I can, I mean, you're doing that off the bat, of course. Naylor and Brown and uh, Gallo McCarthy are four of your final uh, six picks there. Uh, to really pad that that bench. I would personally have more than six starters in a head-to-head league. Um, let's say you don't get a two-star pitcher in there, then you're mm-hmm. going to be still lacking, even if you have Colin DeGrom at the top. Other guys, you know, I see Scherzer and Rodon um, from people, Arias and Manoa and um, Wheeler and Castillo. It's not a given just because it's those two guys. So you're going to still have to get some extra little volume. Love what you did with Hendricks and Romano. It's not like you have a bad hitting core at all with a Turner, Robert, or Rosarena, Schwarber. There is some risk. Um, I would probably give you, I'll give you an, an 18, maybe a 17. I'm going to give you that 17 that you shut nice. off uh, because of the things that I, that, <laughs> that I just mentioned. But anyway, that is it. Um, Dave, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Uh, remind everybody once again what you do and where they can find you. Great. I write all things at Pitcher List. So just log on the site and you'll <laughs> see all the things that I write. Uh, in fantasy. In fantasy. Yes. yes. In I fantasy write baseball. fantasy baseball, yeah. fantasy baseball at Pitcher List. Yeah. Just log on the site. Um, as far as Twitter, and find me at your Twitter Davithius, handle. Yeah. D-A-V-I-T-H-I-U-S. Fantastic. I Well, David, thank you so much for joining me today. But that's going to do it for this episode of the On the Corner podcast. My name is Nick Pollock. I'll talk to you guys next week.